The Walk for Women podcast is brought to you this International Women's Day in collaboration with Care International, a leading humanitarian organisation fighting global poverty in over 100 countries with women and girls at the centre of their work, with thanks to partners, Stylist Magazine. I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter. And I'm Helen Pankhurst, and we're here to celebrate International Women's Day and to celebrate women worldwide with you. This podcast is a celebration of the women worldwide who are leading their families and communities through devastating crisis, the kind we're seeing more and more of in the news, the conflict, the chronic hunger, the displacement from homes, the climate catastrophe. They impact women and girls disproportionately. Today, we're going to explore why and speak to some of the most incredible women who are on the front lines of responding to these crises. Вітаю вас з міжнародним жіночим днем. Happy International Women's Day. Арапайна чачу фету фефавє. Happy International Women's Day. Today is the International Day for Oman. Big up to all Oman all over the world. Oman time now. Antarashtriya Mahila Divis ki shubkamnae. Ich wünsche allen einen fröhlichen internationalen Frauentag. Happy International Women's Day! Bonne journée internationale pour le droit des femmes. Happy International Women's Day! I was really keen to take part, Helen, when you asked me. <laughs> I have a podcast myself called Spinning Plates, where I speak to women who are sort of juggling all sorts of things while they're also raising a family. We're about to speak to some women who are juggling the most extraordinary things in the most extreme of situations. And I feel very honored that I get to spend some time talking to them today. Yeah, and we're very honoured to have you with us. It's lovely to bring people together across differences, isn't it? Yes. So we will also have um, music from some of our favourite singers. So Ray, Beverly Knight, Imelda May, Urban Voice Collective and the Bond Quartet. Whether you're lacing up or sitting down, get ready for a fabulous hour of inspiration. And use the hashtag walk for women with the number four in between. So walk number four women to join the global conversation on social media. If you're in the UK, please support CARE's vital work. Donate £5 by texting the word WALK to 70507. That's WALK to 70507. Text costs £5 plus your standard rate. And don't forget to ask the bill payer's permission. Neil Gaiman here. It seems to me like there are more and more humanitarian disasters around the world. There are climate crises, conflict and hunger as well as natural disasters, like the recent earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Thank you to all who are listening to the stories of the inspiring women who are leading their communities through crisis. I'm wishing you all a happy International Women's Day. I am Bianca Jagger, and I support a woman's right to lead. Yes, we must celebrate the gains we have accomplished over the years. But in order for us to achieve gender equality, we women must assume our rightful seat at decision-making tables. I stand in solidarity with everyone that is walking today. So, Helen, first off, can you tell us about the Right to Lead campaign and why humanitarian emergencies impact women and girls differently? When environmental or other humanitarian disasters hit, women and girls suffer particularly badly from the fallout because of the massive burdens of caring, not just for themselves, but because they're also the prime carers for the young, the old and the infirm. I and mean, we know that that's a global factor. It's probably not surprising that mortality rates in these types of disaster, therefore, are higher for both women and unborn children. And 
as conflict and emergencies continue, health services tend to be affected. And so you've got this vicious cycle that comes through. Then if you look at chores, household chores, they become harder as well. So issues such as water collection, finding food, shelter, all of these basic needs are that much harder when you have an emergency. And the role of ensuring that they are covered predominantly falls on women and girls. Then if you think about the economic impacts of emergencies and how they specifically fall on women and girls in things such as girls being more likely to miss school, they're the ones that tend to be pulled out of school if there's an emergency, and also because of concerns for their, uh, their well-being, but also for poverty re reasons. If there's a child that's going to stop going to school, it tends to be the girl. The risk of child marriage also increases as families are forced to reduce the number of mouths to feed and girls get married off, often heartbreaking choices for families. At times of high stress, domestic violence also increases, and that's universal. In times of desperation, women and girls are more likely to be sexually exploited, and when they're more vulnerable on the move, they are again at increased risk. Moreover, humanitarian risks are thought about at the moment that they're on our screens. That's when we are aware of them, but the impact on people's lives goes on and on. We see this time and time again, and we'll hear more about that aspect of crises, the ongoing effects of them from some of the women that we'll be talking to later on. Despite the general and specific dangers that women face, they are often absent from policy tables. Again, we know that and we see that in the UK as well as globally. So their needs tend not to be prioritised, even although they're engaged at community level in responses. A special focus on women and girls is needed to address the reality that their interests and needs tend to be overlooked, their voices silenced. But not here, not now, and not if we can help it going forward. In this podcast, we wanted to show listeners examples of women who lead in crisis and who are making a difference. And making a difference they are. We're going to speak to incredible women. And I mean, that summary of what is going on, it's... It's just so much to think about. And you're right that we see things on our screens, but actually the ongoing impact on people's lives, mm. that's that much more longer lasting. And a lot of it's just not widely covered. You know, when there's an emergency, we see the initial aftermath and the cameras move on and we don't see the long time repercussions of communities. And what about men and boys? What are their roles? Good question. It's blatantly obvious that we will not get to equality and equity unless men and boys are involved in the conversations around social change unless we're also aware of and address intersectionalities, including those of LGBTQ plus communities. So in our celebrations of women today, you'll be hearing primarily from women, but also you'll hear the voices of a few male allies. And a huge thank you in particular to David Arnold for his ongoing support to care and his work in producing this podcast. He supports our International Women's Day efforts tirelessly, mm -hmm. year in and year out. Um, and so big shout out to him and, of course, to all the men and boys walking and listening to this podcast. Our call to action is to use the hashtag Walk for Women with the number four, Walk for Women, to join the global conversation on social media. And to support CARE's vital work, donate £5 by texting the word WALK to 70507 for those of you in the UK. Thank you so much, Helen. I think we should kick things off, don't you? Should we start with a song? <laughs> yes, I think this one's pretty apt for International Women's Day. Yes, this is a song from Beverly Knight, 
and from others that are singing with her from the musical Sylvia, which is now showing at the Old Vic, about my grandmother. But I'll let Bev introduce it. Over to you, Bev. Hi, Helen. Hi, Sophie. Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Knight. I'm proud to share my voice for care and for a woman's right to lead. Now, Helen, as you know, I'm playing your great-grandma, Emmeline Pankhurst, in the new stage show, Sylvia, at the Old Vic in London, a show about the suffragette struggle for the right to vote and to participate fully in society and ultimately to have an equal right to lead. And I think one of the songs from that is particularly fitting. So me and some of the team have a special performance of it for you. Now, if you're walking in solidarity while you listen to this, I hope it makes you walk tall and walk proud. This one's for the women who lead. Fall down seven times, get back up eight. We've come such a long way. Nothing can bring us down today. Cause today is the day we march. Let's go! It's been seven long years since we made this house your home. Yeah. And look how far we've come. We've come along. Hello, it's Michael Sheen here. 
Use the hashtag WalkForWomen to join the conversation on social media. And please, support CARE's work with women around the world by texting WALK to 70507. Thank you. Hello, Sue Perkins here. Please use the hashtag, hashtag WalkForWomen to join the conversation on social media. And please, if you can, support CARE's work with women all around the world by texting WALK to 70507. Thank you very much. Okay, let's meet Nada from Yemen. And Helen, can you just tell us a little bit about the situation in Yemen? Yes, Yemen is one of the world's largest ongoing humanitarian crises. The Yemeni civil war has left more than two-thirds of the population, that's 22 million people, in need of emergency assistance. And around half of that number are in acute need. A collapsing economy and non-existent public services mean that millions are struggling to access food, water, education and healthcare. So in that context, it's really interesting to meet Nada. She found herself in a village cut off from the rest of the country when the road in her village was blocked by a siege. In the absence of any response from the authorities, Nada took action, mobilising other women in the process. She's an incredible course for change in the community. And let's meet her. So hello, Nada. What a pleasure to speak to you. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your community and how you've been affected by the conflict in Yemen? Uh, my name is Nada Ahmed Sabit Al-Qubati. I'm 30 years old. I'm single. My family consists of 15 sisters and brothers, and I am the breadwinner of my family. I live in Tanzania after becoming displaced from Al Hudaydah city because of the conflict. My hometown in Al Hudaydah area was affected by the conflict and the fighting, and I lost one of my brothers due to a missile attack. My sister-in-law also passed away after she was wounded by Sherpnel. We used to live in terror and we couldn't sleep. The situation was difficult. We eventually decided to flee from the city to my mom's hometown village in the entire area. And as a result, I lost my job, the job that had provided income for my family and me. After displacing from the city to the village with some of my family members, we faced difficulty adapting to village life because the town lacked the minimum services for a decent life. Thank you so much. Can you tell us a little bit about the challenges that your community were facing? In particular, we're really interested to hear from you about the road that you've cleared. It's just incredible. Yes, there are many challenges in my community. For example, shortage of foodstuff, medical supplies and essential services. Dangerous roads and the difficulty of movement has caused these shortages. The main roads to and from Taiz area were blocked because of the conflict. And as the main roads were blocked, we used risky, unpaved secondary roads. We lack the minimum services for a decent life in this village. For instance, patients cannot reach health facility to receive medical treatment. One female student decided to use a risky subroad through the hills to shorten the distance to her school. But she fell off that hill and her spinal cord was badly injured. Another woman in, was in labor and she lost her baby. She passed away with her baby. We couldn't save them and couldn't send them to the health center because of the long distance from the village to the nearest health facility. This is one of the main challenges we face in rural areas. We lack nearby health facilities and even the available health facilities, they don't have enough supplies and equipment. So can you describe what you did? I mean, how did you get other women involved? I called out to people to reopen the old subroad, and the women responded to my call. 
The first woman to respond to my call and support my initiative was a woman who had lost her baby during delivery on her way to the hospital. Once she heard about my initiative to reopen the old neglected road, she was the first woman to join. And that honestly gave me the strength to move ahead and call for more women to join us. We, were, we are in a situation where at least one woman should shout out and call for others to join. Male leaders in my community mocked us and criticized our initiative. They said we would we would need millions of reals to fix the road. They also said that we are just a few women incapable of doing anything. They said many things that hurt me, but we insisted on advancing this initiative. Many marginalized women from the Al-Muhammashin community supported my initiative because they needed the wood we were picking and collecting while cleaning the road for there to use um, for cooking. We went there as a group and came across trees that blocked the road looking like a forest. As we removed the trees, the old road began to appear and more and more people began to recognize it as an important route. My dream was to reopen this road and I have achieved it. That is so amazing, Nada. So what impact has clearing the road had for you in your community and what changes have you seen? Um, I'm actually speechless. I don't know what to say. Everyone here is delighted because of this road. It's incredible. Everyone is happy and satisfied with the road. I cannot describe how we feel when we see patients able to, to reach hospitals and, and pregnant mothers getting to hospitals on time to deliver their babies safely. Now we can reach services and the situation in our village has really improved. Also, one organization intervened in our village and provided temporary job opportunities for jobless people. This gave us a new ray of hope, thank God. For me, I feel that I was able to save pregnant mothers and their babies and help patients reach the health centers on time. Um, this road has become a lifeline that connects villages and districts and governorates. My happiness is indescribable. My dream came true. I served my community. I'm grateful for that. This International Women's Day, what would be your message to other women around the world who are making a difference? for their communities. My message on International Women's Day is that women who love to do good deeds should never be fearful. They should never fear anything. We should keep trying and hold into hope and determination. We should try hard to overcome the obstacles because there simply is no way to improvement without challenges, and obstacles and problems that have to be defeated. Wow, Nada is incredible and I loved her message at the end there. Yes, keep going. What an absolute inspiration. Hello, this is David Tennant. Supporting girls' rights, supporting women's rights. Today and every day, walk tall, walk strong, walk together. Happy International Women's Day, everyone. This is Dr. Shola Mushabamunu. A woman's right to lead is not up for debate. Now is the time to change the narrative that thinks that our life, liberty and choice can be determined by anyone other than us. Enough is enough. Okay, next up, Sophie, I want to introduce you to the most incredible woman. One year ago, Daria fled her home in Kiev, in Ukraine, and she's now actually speaking to us from Poland. Um, you won't believe what's happened to her. 
and what she's achieved since that day. So, Dalia, hello, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you and I know each other, um, but I wanted to introduce you to Sophie, who's keen to hear your story. Can you please tell her about the moment you knew you had to leave your home and what has happened since? It's been a year now, but I remember it as if it was yesterday. I remember how I woke up at 5 a.m. and I had this phone call from my friend who lived in the same neighborhood as I did. And she she heard explosions and she called me to tell that the war has started and that the, the feeling of uh, panic and not knowing what to do, it was the main and the idea that I knew we needed to, I had to flee, I had to leave my home. And I remember how I woke my son up, how we packed in 20 minutes, just took whatever was on the shelves, just took some documents, some passports. I'm glad I took passports because a lot of people forgot about it in panic. And I just, I sat in the car and we drove away from Kiev. It was exactly, I remember it was 20 minutes to get up, to pack and to leave our home. We packed and together with my mom and my son, we left Ukraine. We were driving and discussing what to do next, what country to stay, because the feeling of not knowing what to do next, not knowing what is what is in front of you, not having a job or home or place to stay even in a complete strange countries. And we were just discussing, should we stay in Slovakia or should we go to Poland? What, what to do next? Dara, can I ask, how old was your little boy when you had to leave? So my son was 10 when we were leaving 10. and we celebrated his birthday in Warsaw in October. Now he is 11. Well, that's an incredible story and you've really brought it to life there. Am I right that it's actually almost a year to the day, I think it's tomorrow, that this all happened? And you've recently been back to Kiev to visit your elderly grandmother. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like to go back to Kiev and to see the home that you left as well? It was bitter and sweet together because I was returning home for the first time over a year and I, I was... I was excited and happy and of course seeing my grandmother she is 84 and my father who decided to stay and to just defend the country it was incredible emotions and I it was a great joy for me just to to be being with them only for one day it meant a lot I remember I entered my home and it was exactly the same I left it a year ago know my cup with coffee that I didn't finish and our just uh, packing small things some toys for my son it was very important to be back it is when you leave the the place unexpectedly unwillingly it is it is always good to be to be back home even though it's it's not safe yet how typical is that of the other women that are going through the same experience, like where you were and people you know? Most of the refugees from Ukraine are women with children because men are not allowed to leave. And how incredibly strong and brave these women are. This is, I, I just admire each of, each of them. 
because leaving your home with your children and building your life again in a new place, very often not knowing the language, not knowing the place at all, it requires a lot of, you know, strong and braveness. Definitely. And um, what are your hopes for the future and for other women that you're working with? Of course, my biggest hope for all of us to return to free, independent and safe country. I, w- I wish our children will never see the war again. And my, my biggest hopes for the women who have left and who had to leave their husbands, their families, their homes, for them to be reunited and to, to have the safe place, the safe home. And those who are now in, in all of the countries in in complete strange place to be to find to find this strength inside them to to continue to move on and to to build even if it's temporary to build their life in different countries. But you haven't just faced that with your family. You've also then helped others. Can you tell us a bit more about what you've ended up doing? Because it's such a strong example of women leading through crisis, not just sorting out their own lives, but also helping others. I remember when I was going to Poland, on on the way to Poland, I had this understanding that I'm going to a country, I speak the language, so I can I can help other other refugees, other Ukrainians who are in worse situation. And I didn't know then how or what will I be doing, but I was sure that I want I wanted to do something, wanted to do something to help. And when I came to Poland and I uh, started with signing up my son to school. I talked to the principal of the school, and she was desperately needing teachers who would speak Ukrainian because there were almost sixty students, sixty pupils from Ukraine who had gone through different, who had witnessed and things children shouldn't, and who had trauma and she asked me to help to assist uh, in this in um, helping this with the helping children so she asked me to to just help and to talk to the children and that's how i found out about this program teaching program sponsored by care that allows ukrainian children to have ukrainian teachers at school as a link between Polish education and Ukrainian children and Ukrainian parents as well. And I thought it's, it was a great idea and it, I believe it still is to, to help in this way. And later on, I joined CARE and I was lucky to meet all the women-led organizations, these incredible Polish women who have started small organizations and who have grown into... 500 times sometimes in this response to to the crisis that we are facing now so i would also if if you don't mind i wanted to say that this help that people all over the world provide this generosity that the world has towards ukrainians is incredible i admire all of all of them all of you who have helped us and who are still helping this year was extremely difficult for Ukrainians. And not only for Ukrainians, for, for the whole world. 
but this kindness and generosity of people it is incredible to me absolutely and can i wish my best to your little boy i hope uh, he and all the other children never experience any more yes, conflict this is my biggest yeah. hope for no one to experience anything like that absolutely thanks Nadia. thanks a million yeah thank you so much it's so lovely to talk to you thank you for having me thank you Hi, I'm Angela Griffin, and I support a woman's right to lead this International Women's Day and every other day. Lems to say here, thank you to all those who are listening to the stories of the inspiring women who are leading their communities through crisis. Wishing you all a happy International Women's Day. So this is a real treat. Next up, the most acclaimed poet, Nikita Gill whose words have reached over 650,000 followers on Instagram. Especially for us, Nikita's written a powerful and poignant poem about the caring role of women. Welcome, Nikita. Nikita, so lovely to have you with us. We know the burden of unpaid care impacts on women and girls in emergencies in specific ways. It's also a daily burden the world over. Your poem is written from a very personal perspective, highlighting amazing women supporting family members generation after generation. Would you like to tell us a bit more about your poem before you recite it? Thank you so much for having me and for inviting me. Um, I I wrote this poem quite fresh out of losing my grandmother. And I think it's really one of the first times that I've had to go through this with my family in this way, where we're saying goodbye to an elder, but we're welcoming an ancestor, as we like to say. Um, and I think what was incredibly powerful about this experience of one writing this down and archiving it, but also the experience of looking after someone in their last days is it's it was a privilege, but it was so obviously given to the women to do this. I what what really stood out to me was that this experience, like birth, was also given to women. It was our job to see her out on her final days. Um, and it the, the, the poem basically tries to capture that. It tries to capture what we did, and it tries to capture those final moments. Um, and I felt that was really important, so that's what the poem's about. What the women in my family did for my grandmother on those final days. When we first heard of the stroke, it went without saying amongst the doctors and the menfolk that this was women's work. When they say this, they mean the preservation of the world, birth, healing, nourishment, and yes, now even this. Death, too, was women's work. But we did it. We always do it, because who else would pick up the pieces and nurture them with hope in the end? And so, we did the needful. In the morning, when she woke up from fitful sleep, we made her turmeric chai. There was always one of us in the room waiting for her to open her eyes. We fed her with our own hands her favourite breakfast, peeled lychees and mangoes from the trees outside. My mother and aunt helped her bathe every day. Lavender soap always brought a piece of her back to us that death was wrestling away. I combed out her long hair. 
shimmering silver in the light of day. My mother tended to the garden my grandmother loved. Her beloved roses grew sunny yellow and sky pink this year. I held her arm over mine to steady her, so we could sit in the sunshine together on the wicker furniture out on the porch. In those afternoons, we retold her the stories of her own childhood that she had forgotten. We made the food, the doctor said, healthy, free of anything rich, everything she loved. But my cousin always snuck her her favorite chocolate. We all saw. None of us stopped her. By late afternoon, when we saw her tiredness, my cousin and I helped her back to bed. We watched those old soap operas with her that she loved. She always said the point of having a television was so you could all watch it together. We tried not to hate death for stealing her away like this, piece by piece, memory by memory. To bring her peace during the nights of pain, we learned the words to the lullabies her mother sang to her. We sang them through the nights when she could no longer keep her food down. We sang them to her when she could no longer speak to us anymore. That last day, we sat together in her room. She gestured to the curtains, so we let the sunlight in. Outside, she saw her roses, sunny yellow and sky pink. And she smiled one last time as my mother took her hand, whispered, thank you. And that was when her eyes closed forevermore. So some more music now. And this next song is based on the singer's own story of sexual exploitation at the hands of someone in a position of power. It's a song of defiance and courage from the wonderful Ray. So this producer hit me up on the DM He told me, hey, I really like what you are doing He told me, come on to the studio, let's cook it He told me, come to catch a vibe and make some music But when I got that, I heard what he was saying Trying to touch me, trying to fuck me, I'm not playing I should have left that place as soon as I walked in it How goddamn dare you do that to me, really Coming like the ice cream man I felt his ice cold hands And how I pay the price now Damn, goddamn, goddamn Everything you did, it left me in a ruin And no, I didn't say a word I guess that proves it I'm a woman Oh, yes Cause I'm a woman I'm a very, very brave, strong woman And I'll be damned if I let a man ruin How I walk, how I talk and I've been broken for a moment, I've been through it all. It's even harder to be brave alone. Was a girl, now I'm grown, I'm a woman. A very, very strong woman. And I was seven, 
was 21, was 17, and was 11. It took a while to understand what my consent means. If I was ruthless, they'd be in the penitentiary. But all the stress of being honest wouldn't help me. I pushed it down, but it was living in me rent free. And then I fell into some things that were unhealthy. A place where no one heard me asking them to help me. His eyes cold heads And how I pay the price now Goddamn Everything you did it left me in a ruin And no, I didn't say a word I guess that proves it I'm a woman Say how I feel, how I felt And explain why I'm silently blaming myself Cause I put on these faces Pretending I'm fine Then I go to the bathroom And I press rewind in my head Always going round and round in my head Your fingerprints stuck a stain on my skin You made me frame myself for your sin You pathetic dead excuse of a man Call to action, use the hashtag walk women that's with the number four in the middle, to join the global conversation on social media. To support CARE's vital work, donate £5 by texting the word WALK to 70507 for those of you in the UK. OK, let's meet our next guest. Amran Shira is in Somalia, leading in response to the hunger crisis and much else besides. Hello, Amran. We'd love you to tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Well, thank you. My name is Amran. I work with Care in Somalia. In my current role, I focus on program management, coordinating with stakeholders, and supervising field emergency response teams, and ensuring the overall program and operational excellence. During my time as a humanitarian worker, I participated in various responses, including droughties, conflicts, coastal cyclone, and COVID-19 pandemic. I have had challenging, demanding, but also fulfilling and had women moments in my career. As a female humanitarian worker, I am constantly conscious of the implications of my gender in the humanitarian field. Women and girls affected by disasters usually connect better with me as I am a woman and I feel their needs, priorities and feelings better than anyone else. Thank you. I mean, could you set the scene for us a little bit? I've heard that in East Africa, 
150 million more women than men are going hungry in a region stricken already by drought, conflict and chronically on the brink of famine. Can you tell us a little bit more about the key problems that the country is facing? Oh, okay. Somalia is actually lurching from a disaster to the next. The country is in the midst of the longest and most severe climate-related disaster in this history. Five consecutive boring seasons have devastated the country, destroyed crops, diminished livestock and livelihoods, and pushed communities to the brink of famine. At this moment, more than 1.4 million people have been displaced, while at least 3.5 million livestock has died, and some 8.25 million Somalis, which nearly half of the population, will likely experience high level of acute food insecurity between April and June this year, 2023. I just would like to add a bit of a bit of how this, you know, catastrophe is impacting women and girls. Women and girls are eating fewer meals, experiencing malnutrition and health issues. Also, women-led small-scale businesses have been negatively affected, which is forcing many women-led households lose their source of income. Women and girls are also, are also, you know, forced to work and to work distance, long distances to access water for their families, and sometimes they are failing to access water. Girls are also driven out of school and are exposed to early marriages, gender-based violence, child marriage and child exploitation. Um, thanks a lot. That explains a lot of the problems. And then um, I know that you've been involved in and have seen other women make a difference. Can you give us some examples of what you've seen and what you've done? Actually, despite the alarming circumstances, Many women are trying hard to change their lives or those of the others. Fadma is among them. Fadma's journey started when she lost 100% of her livestock and ended up in Ainaba ADB camp in Seoul region, where she witnessed the idleness lack of and lack of education of the IDB children. Fadma went ahead and set up a school activity center for 40 internally displaced children under the age of 8 years. She established the school because the majority of the internally displaced children have no access to basic education. Fadma once said, I want to be a role model. I want to be a role model for other Somali internally displaced women because many people here think that internally displaced people are extremely vulnerable and can't do anything meaningful for themselves, for their children or for the society. Amazing. Well, congratulations on all the incredible work you've been doing. I wanted to ask you about your aspirations for yourself and for women and girls in Somalia. Oh, okay. And actually, my inspiration is to become a renewed humanitarian leader inside Somalia and beyond the boundaries of Somalia. I dream of Somalia where women and girls are free from violence and malnutrition. And finally, what would your message be on this International Women's Day to women around the world who are leading their communities through crises? My word today is as women, we don't have to wait for others to change our lives. Together we can create incredible and lasting opportunities, not only for ourselves, but also for those around us. Thank you. Amazing. Well, next up, we have the wonderful Amelda May. Hi Sophie and Helen and to everybody listening, I hope you're all well. 
Um, I wanted to send you this song because um, it's inspired. Without all of you, it wouldn't have happened, basically. I was inspired to write it after um, attending March for Women back in 2019. And the whole day blew me away, everybody there. And that's where I first heard Gina Martin and Dr. Shola Moss Shogbamimu. I heard both of them speak and I, I was um, overcome. So I asked them to, after I wrote the song and I was recording, I asked them to join me on back and vocals, which they did, and we had the best time. Um, they came in Graham Norton as well with me. We were, the three of us felt like we were on a quest together. Um, and this is a brand new version of the song. It's a live version that I've recorded in Dublin. I haven't released it yet, so um, it has all the energy from the people that are there. And this song is just, it's about fighting for love and that we are made to love and that love is worth fighting for and we're worth fighting for so I hope it inspires you the way you you've all inspired me and it's for everybody that's listening and walking and to all those incredible women um that are pushing the way through I hope you have the best day and thank you so much
I'm Sofia Sprechman-Sinedo. I'm the Secretary General of Care International. Please use the hashtag WalkForWomen to join the conversation on social media. And please support CARE's work with women around the world by texting WALK to 70507. Well, next up, we are meeting Amy from Bangladesh. So she's living in a part of Bangladesh that is among the worst places in the world affected by the climate crisis. I know we've felt it here to a certain extent. We've seen heat waves, floods, um, increasingly seen storms here in the UK. But around the world, millions are caught up in life-threatening climate crisis. Absolutely. And Amy's here to tell us about the impact on women in her community and what she's doing about it. Oh, hello, Amy. So nice to see you. We would love it if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, please, your background and what motivated you to do the work that you're doing. Uh, thank you very much for having me today as your guest. Um, I'm Kaji Rabia Amy and I'm living in uh, Bangladesh. If you don't know, Bangladesh is one of the South Asian countries. And um, uh, living and being brought up in such a, a such South Asian country is not that easy, especially as women, because um, uh, in in uh, the, in the South Asian country, women are being uh, discriminated uh, in every sector of their life, even since they're born. So um, uh, the girl child, they um, are married off um, at a very early age, even before completing their education, let alone their economic dependency. I felt, felt motivated to uh, work um, against these uh, social norms and uh, fight for the women rights in my country. And um, as you all know, uh, Bangladesh is a very um, old hidden by the climate change uh, and this crises. So uh, women are the first um, uh, being who are uh, affected uh, with this, um, I mean, any kind of climate crisis, any kind of crisis, actually. So um, being a woman in South Asian country, um, I, I had to fight uh, all this um, social, political, environmental um, uh, uh, scenarios um, to, um, I mean, uh, survive and uh, work for the women in my communities. So could you tell us a bit more about what the climate crisis looks like and also what the solutions are, what you've got involved in? Bangladesh is uh, one of the uh, most um, climate vulnerable country uh, in the world. So uh, Bangladesh has been identified as the seventh climate vulnerable country um, according to uh, global climate uh, index um, uh, climate risk index in 2021 according to the uh, global reports um, one uh, by 2050 uh, one in seven people uh, would become uh, climate migrants uh, due to the uh, climate ch climate change situation uh, due to sea level rising uh, salinity intuition is getting worse uh, day by day. In last uh, 35 years, 26% uh, of our total land um, is, um, uh, I mean, salinity has been increased um, in last uh, 35 years. So uh, you can uh, you can think like uh, the people living in these um, uh, coastal areas, uh, they had to change their livelihood options um, because uh, they are not being able to uh, do the agricultural practices uh, usually they were doing. And also, uh, um, if I uh, can share two other uh, major geographical locations of our country, like the River Rhine Islands and the um, wetland areas, 
uh, there uh, the people, I mean, in the riverine island, um, the people are facing very frequent floods, um, uh, especially the monsoon floods. And uh, due to that, um, their livelihood are being affected. And uh, in the wetland areas, it's the same. Uh, the people are losing their livelihoods uh, due to the fl uh, frequent flash flood. And uh, due to this uh, changed climate situation, the frequency has been uh, increased at a um, severe level now. Would you say that women have been disproportionately affected? So even before they are born, they are being discriminated. So uh, And uh, whenever uh, the climate crisis is happening, any disaster is happening, uh, it's the uh, girl of the family who need to do the sacrifice. So the you know, whenever the livelihood um, loss of any family is happening, uh, it should be the girl to be married off earlier. Not only that, I mean, um, whenever uh, the men of the family is losing their job, uh, out of frustration, they are being violent, and these um, uh, in, these are impacting uh, the violence. Um, I mean, violence on the uh, intimate partner. So it, it it's again the women and the girls who are less who are of less powerful uh, in the society in the family. Uh, there, um, the, the area is far from the mainland, so um, the people have to travel. Uh, two, three hours uh, to reach to the mainland. So, uh, uh, I mean, the women, if they don't have any kind of important or valid reason to come to the mainland, they are not used to in traveling to the mainland. So they are not, I mean, they are not accessing to the information um, regarding any kind of climate crises. They don't have any information regarding what changes are being happening um, in in her uh, in her in around her environment and but she is the person who had to prepare i mean who had to take the early actions to um, reduce the losses and the impact of uh, any disaster being happened so uh, as as the men um, are migrated already to the urban areas and she is the uh, one who left alone at the home at the village to take care of um, her family and fight with this disaster. So this is how actually the women are facing a disaster and the climate change impact disproportionately in our country. So it's the uh, women who are staying back at their locality or their community or their house to take these early actions. But unfortunately, their access to this um, early warning system or the information is um, very, um, at a very poor level. Uh, as I was mentioning that um, the uh, regarding the travel time, uh, and of course uh, the women had to take all the care burdens of their family on themselves. So uh, they get a very less time uh, to, I mean, explore this kind of climate related informations. We have handpicked some of the women uh, on, in the communities who have some kind of leadership qualities uh, and who have this kind of like any kind of devices uh, where we can uh, sub, um, provide these early warning messages so that they can uh, they can be the change agent um, on behalf of our project. Um, I mean, uh, carrying the early warning information to other women of the community. So um, we uh, these um, handpicked women leaders, they have been trained and uh, on 
uh, how to um, translate this uh, information into action. Well, Amy, congratulations on all you're doing to empower other women in Bangladesh. It's incredible. So I wondered on this International Women's Day, what message you might have for other women who are also leading their communities through crisis? So uh, for uh, my um, co-warriors, my message is trust in yourself. You are the one who can make the change. Just have the courage and have the strength to change the world. Someday, at some point, we will be coming to you to hear your story. That's so wonderful. Oh, Amy, that's brilliant, so wonderful. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you, Amy. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Paloma Faith, and I support a woman's right to lead this International Women's Day and every day. Melanie C here. Use the hashtag WalkForWomen to join the conversation on social media. And please support CARE's work with women around the world by texting WALK to 70507. I'm Sadiq Khan, the Mayor of London and a proud feminist. I support a women's right to lead in the home, in the community, in society and on the routes to a fairer world. Happy International Women's Day and happy walking. Sophie, I also wanted to introduce a voice from the dreadful Turkey-Syria earthquake. I know it's on everybody's mind at the moment, with so many lives lost and homes destroyed. Obviously, those responders are really busy at the moment, but I managed to catch up with the brilliant Shireen Ibrahim, who is in Turkey earlier, and she was able to share some of her insights. Shireen, thank you so much for finding time to um, share with us some of your experience and your thoughts um, and your work Firstly, could you just introduce yourself briefly? Thank you, Helen. Uh, my name is Shireen Ibrahim, and I'm the country director of CARE in Turkey. And you have faced this horror of the earthquake. Could you tell us a bit about what happened and what you have been doing to try and make a difference in this horrific context? Um, you know, on the 6th of February, we all woke up um, to a... A, a major fright, and uh, we realized that it was an earthquake. However many times we've practiced our um, uh, to to uh, to make sure that we are ready for uh, um, a significant crisis, it's never the same as when you go through it. And all of us very quickly wanted to take care of ourselves and our families and our loved ones. And in doing so, we reached out uh, to the many care staff who, um, who support others in times of crisis. But we found ourselves, um, you know, the ones who needed the help the most. Uh, very quickly over the course of the following several hours, we realized that buildings had collapsed, that people, our own people, our staff, were unaccounted for. Um, very quickly, fuel had run out, electricity was out, hot water. The basics that we usually took, take for granted uh, were no longer afforded to us. And so for two or three days, we were uh, scrambling to get ourselves up back on our feet so that we could continue to serve others. It was hard because we were personally hit as humanitarians. And so it was almost like a double or triple whammy 
uh, an earthquake with all of its pressures on you personally, um, are the lifelessness uh, with which we sort of found ourselves, the inability to really help others who we were uh, hearing needed our help most. And, you know, with every uh, alert, we were hearing about the incredible numbers of people who were gradually, um, you know, counted as dead. And uh, so that psychological pressure on all of us was immense, uh, myself included. And, uh, yeah. There's no separation between the personal tragedy, the community tragedy, your own need to make a difference and to do what your work is telling you to do. How how did you manage all of those? What 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 were the steps that you put through, and how how are you feeling now? Today, I'm a little more um, confident that we uh, are doing what we need to do to help those who need us most. Um, I got a lot more confident when on day three we started distributing the supplies that we had in our possession. Uh, First to to people who we knew needed us in locations where we were. Uh, And so gradually with time, when you start building that self-confidence again and you start, you know, achieving little wins you start realizing that you are, you know, stronger than you actually believe uh, or believed you could be. And so day by day, we gained strength and confidence, and we started to reorganize. Uh, But as I said, we had to take care of our own first, and we did that by moving uh, our team members to safety and their families to safety. Uh, And then we looked at what supplies we had and we made our initial distribution. And with time, uh, as we got stronger, we then started obviously um, mapping out where the needs were greatest and then purchasing commodities and receiving in-kind support that allowed us to do outreach to communities and understand more what they needed. Uh, and so, Helen, it's it's a it's a it's a slow but it's a steady climb back up, and I'm proud that we were able to do our first distribution on day three, and I'm proud that since then we've helped uh, thousands of people with whatever we we could. And when you say um, distribution, what type of um, items were you distributing? What kind of support have you been able to give? So, I mean, the, the needs are vast uh, and they differ. Um, in Turkey, it was clear that uh, we needed to provide shelter. Uh, we needed to provide non-food items such as mattresses, blankets, and we needed to provide food. Um, and so we had uh, um, uh, an immediate distribution of 14 tons of flour uh, that went out to the food kitchens of uh, Gaziantep, Shanli Orfa, and uh, Adana. 
Uh, and then we also distributed these non-food items that allow people to sort of, you know, use um, for uh, their basic uh, home needs. And we also distributed uh, hygiene kits. And these are basic kits that are pre-packed to allow people, you know, uh, to use basic hygiene support, such as soap, uh, um, uh, sanitary items, uh, cleaning items, etc. But the greatest need is obviously for shelter. As, as I said, as I said uh, there is a lot of, um, there are lots of collapsed buildings. And so people were struggling to in and huddling in cars and and in uh, accommodation spaces provided by the government. But gradually you also want the privacy and the protection that is afforded by your own place. And I think there's a global story there, isn't there? There's a global need for better understanding about how people live their lives, the constraints that they're under, the opportunities that they have, when they can challenge social norms, when they have to live by them. It's, I mean, what I found really moving about um, your story is that issue about how you navigate those complexities. Maybe maybe a last question then to you is on this International Women's Day, um, what would your... Uh, advice, comments, thought be for women globally? What um, might you want to say to them? This is a platform where we will be reaching people from different places in the world. I have a strong belief that uh, the, the resilience and the resourcefulness of women is much more, much stronger than we make it out to be. I have seen many documents that talk of women as being, you know, the most vulnerable and the most um, uh, dispossessed and the most incapable of standing on their own two feet. But I've also spoken to women who have said to me, I don't want your food basket. I want to be able to earn my own living. And I want the tools, just give me the tools, I will make it happen. And so my message is this, there is a power and there's a resourcefulness and there's a brilliance about women that is unparalleled. There is no doubt in my mind that the solutions to our um, challenges are in the hands of women. And if we allow them to express their voice and to manifest their power, there is no stopping us from finding a peaceful solution to war, to famine, and to crises like the one we have faced in Turkey and in the Northwest. This is my conviction. Wow, uh, brilliant. I mean, thank you so much. Um, uh, I, yeah, I'm just so moved by that because I think it's so true. Thank you, Helen. So remember, if you want to support CARE's vital work, donate £5 by texting the word WALK to 70507. That's WALK to 70507. Text costs £5 plus your standard rate. And don't forget to ask the bill payers' permission. OK, we've heard a lot today for some incredible women, like really incredible, and they've shown inspirational leadership against the odds. And that's the thing. They really are up against it. 
We've heard our individuals can support. And thank you so much to everyone who's texted to donate to CARE. But in the bigger picture, what needs to be done? What does CARE want to see from the UK government regarding aid and women and girls? So the UK government used to be a lead player when it came to addressing gender issues. And we would like to see that restored as it releases its new women and girls strategy. This is much needed in the context of the global lack of progress towards goal five of the global goals. This is one of the goals agreed to by every country in 2015 as part of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which promise to achieve gender equality by 2030. Now we're halfway through the deadline and we're still way off track to achieving it. So this year and the government's new women and girls strategy is a real opportunity for leadership. Can you give us a little bit more information about what this means in practice? Firstly, the government's strategy needs to come with clear financial targets. It's essential to pass from words to action to match ambitions and commitment with adequate funding. From the government's own assessment, we know that women and girls are amongst the most affected by the aid cuts. And CARES estimates that £1.9 billion has been lost from the UK government's programmes that supported women and girls due to the aid cuts. This is just not okay. We need to see this restored. The second point, and it's linked, is that it's essential that the implementation and success of the strategy includes funding for and consultation with women and girls' rights organisations, and this needs to be measured. Thirdly, the strategy needs to be beyond talking about women and girls to addressing power imbalances and discriminatory social norms and laws i.e. clearly being feminist in its essence. At the moment, we've got three out of seven of the G7 countries that have feminist foreign policy commitments. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the UK made it the fourth? I hear here to all of the above, and thank you so much for having me on this podcast. And thanks a million for co-hosting it, Sophie. (laughs) And David, thank you for all the work um, you've been doing with us year in, year out around International Women's Day and for creating something truly magical. And to the team at CARE, who pull out the stops all the time. I feel like say, saying particularly she's not here to Joe Broughton for uh, <laughs> being such an amazing uh, spirit behind it. Um, colleague and friend, colleague is the word we use. <laughs> um, to all of you listening, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast, the opportunity to celebrate women globally and to hear from some amazing women leading in crisis in Yemen, Bangladesh, Ukraine and Poland, Somalia and Turkey. Thanks also to our fabulous singers, Ray, Beverly Knight, Imelda May, Sophie, and to you. Ah, thank you. Well, listen, please share the podcast with friends and family and join in the conversation on social media. You can tune in anytime and walk throughout March and beyond. You can also donate via text to support CARE's work with women around the world, women like Daria and Nada and Amy and Amran. Use the hashtag walkforwomen with the number four to join the global conversation on social media and to support CARE's vital work, donate £5 by texting the word WALK to 70507. We have one final song that we will leave you with. The fabulous Urban Voices Collective, together with the world's best-selling string quartet ever, Bond, in what has become the International Women's Day Anthem for Care events and produced by David Arnold, You Don't Own Me. Happy International Women's Day. Selamat menyambut Hari Wanita Sedunia. Welcome alamak F. Happy International Women's Day. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own me. Don't say I can't go. 